Blog Talk Radio. of the Orange Report with Mike and Matt, and um, luckily for me, Matt, I've had a few days to to sleep, regroup, rethink what I really wanted to say on the show. Um, you know, um, we're just going to jump right into it tonight. Uh, we're going to try to keep it somewhat positive, but I think there's some things we just have to talk about and address. Um, so I, I guess I'll start there. Um, you know, I'll start with the trip to South Bend. Obviously, um, their fans were great. They treated us well. Uh, and I don't think I had a one bad experience with any Notre Dame fan other than some normal ribbing or, you know, just normal, you know, college football banner back and forth. That's all part of it. But most of them, I have to say, were all uh, – it was a good place to visit. They had a great tailgating scene. Um, I liked their stadium. Um, their campus was nice. Uh, Overall, the trip was an outstanding experience, so uh, I'm looking forward to them coming to Austin next year, and hopefully we can be a little more competitive with them in the game, but I look forward to us being as gracious hosts as they were. So um, I guess let's just start with the positives. Um, your comments on, on the, the trip, not the football game. <laughs> yeah, lots of positives about the trip. Uh, I echo your sentiments. Uh, Notre Dame fans are first class all the way, man. I did not have any uh, issues at all. And, you know, you know, in some cases, especially big programs, I'm sure this happens in Austin too, you know, you can tell, you can kind of spot the uh, the alums and all these guys. And then sometimes you get kind of the counties that are rolling around and you think, you know, well, this might be where there's some trouble. But even those guys, man, were super friendly. I had lots of conversations with just folks walking by on the sidewalks. I mean, not one thing at all. It was super super uh, friendly, and it, I paid the price for it the next day, but, I mean, I, had to leave. I couldn't go two seconds without somebody offering me something to drink, something to eat. It was uh, it was awesome. I was, uh, I you know, we're, we try to do the same thing in Austin, uh, and we'll do it even if we get treated badly somewhere, but, you know, definitely next year uh, I encourage all Texas fans to uh, be super hospitable to our Irish friends that come visit because they were, they were great. That whole atmosphere was awesome. Uh, you know, it, it was big-time football and not much bigger than playing at Notre Dame. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I guess we discovered it was only the 11th time in their history that they they have had a night game. So, uh, it was honored to, to, to be one of the 11. Um, but, yeah, everybody was, was very friendly to me. They, they, you know, if I had needed direction somewhere, they gave them to me, offered food, drink, kind of a um, the, the same thing. I just wish, uh, you know, we would have been a little more competitive um, on, on the football field, which we're going to jump, you know, right into now. 38-3, to 3, um, 160 yards um, of total offense. So I guess at least we doubled our um, our, our, our last football game, um, the bowl game total. But, I mean, basically we're going on three, three consecutive blowouts. I think we've been outscored around 117-20. to 20. Um, Charlie Strong is 14 games in, six have been blown out, and obviously um, where we are today is uh, 
one game into the 2015 season, um, 11 more games to go. Um, it's a bleak outlook. Um, obviously, um, the news yesterday broke Sean Watson out as offensive coordinator. Um, so I guess that's where we'll start the discussion with him. Um, you know, there was questions from day one, why Strong brought him along. You know, probably comfort, sense of loyalty. He probably felt like Sean Watson was the reason he even had an opportunity to, to get the Texas job, obviously, with his development of, um, of Bridgewater. And Bridgewater's obviously going on. It looks like he's going to be a real good player um, for Minnesota in the NFL. So I guess my thoughts on Sean Watson is obviously he knows how to develop quarterbacks. He's a good recruiter. I mean, he's got Shane Bichelle committed to us in the 2016 class. He's got Ellinger already committed in the 2017 class. He knows how to develop quarterbacks. Obviously, um, he's just not a good game day game planner and play caller, and that's okay. So I guess the question becomes, will Sean Watson stay on with just being the – I mean, he's going to stay on the rest of this year, but will he be back as a quarterback coach next year? I don't know. I think that's 50-50. We'll see how that goes. And then, obviously, Wickline uh, with the co-offensive coordinator, how much he was really calling plays or not due to the Oklahoma State lawsuit. That's a whole different discussion. I don't even really care to go down that road. That will get settled however it gets settled. But, obviously, he's going to concentrate on offensive line now. And Jay Norville, who was hired several months ago, uh, is now the play caller. Who knows if that's going to be interim or if he does a good job and that carries into 2016. The problem is, 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 is basically it sounds like Watson got panicked in the game, reverted back to what was his comfort level was, and basically um, I guess you could tell by the reactions of the players on the field when the plays were coming in, it was stuff that apparently they hadn't been working on all fall camp, spring. Um, he kind of went rogue. I hate to use the word rogue, but um, did his own thing, and obviously that, that coupled with the performance probably spilled the end of, of his play-calling duties. Now, this is where, where I, I want to go with the conversation. My biggest concern is what, what is what has Charlie Strong done doing all this? Is he so involved in the defense that he's not even listening on the headset to know what plays are being called? Why didn't he intervene on the fifth play call and just say, no, 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 this is what we're running, and if Sean Watson or Wickline would have, would have bucked him, I would have just said no, then and I, would, I would have just told him, well, you're done right now. I'm the head coach. I'm on the line. So, I'm sure they had some heated conversations on the plane ride back in, and ultimately it did result in them um, being demoted. But uh, maybe at that point it was, it was no point in doing it in the game. Maybe Strong just knew we were outmatched and we just had to take our lumps and move on. But, um, you know, obviously people are calling for Strong's head already, and I can't disagree with them. I mean, we're, we're, it looks like we are lacking leadership. We're not improving. Um, you know, personally now I will – I'm not going to judge anybody. I think it's too soon to pull the plug. Uh, but, I mean, if we go 4-8 or 5-7, I don't. I think it's reasonable to have that conversation at the end of the season. Um, I don't think he will be fired. I guess if the wheels completely come off, he could. But bottom line, we're 18 months, um, almost, you know, second year, 18 months into his regime. And now that he's already got rid of Les Coning last year, got rid of the tight ends coach that he carried over from the Mac Brown era, now we're one game in, he's firing two offensive coordinators and going to one. At some point, there has to be accountability to the head man in charge, one, in his hiring ability or if we are on the right track. 
Um, so that, that that's my concerns. I guess your thoughts on those. Well, you know what? Yeah, I. You know, I. There's been tons and tons of people on Twitter and on the internet, you know, putting the blame on this or that or whatever. But to me, it's just yeah, it kind of goes back to the entire approach during the off season. I, I'll be straight up honest with you. I know that the football fans would have gone berserk, <laughs> but I actually would feel a little more relieved if Charlie Strong had come forward and said, hey, we got our tails kicked in week one. It was completely unacceptable, but we need, this is what we, I mean, we have a plan in place, and we're not going to turn around and throw everything out of the window after one game. To me, that to me, the reaction to the first game, which is against a very good team, I'm not saying it's acceptable, but, you know, there will be days like that on the road against what looked to be possibly a top-10 team. You know, when we were 2000, 2005, 2006, 2007, or 2008, you know, we were we were putting it on teams that were top-25 teams and just destroying them in Austin. I mean, those, and yes. those guys went on to have decent seasons. It feels like, to me, it makes me more alarmed that we responded like this because that makes me feel like, we didn't really believe in what we were doing during the off season after the terrible uh-huh. last two games of the year. And now we didn't realize that we were going down the wrong road until we actually saw a result hit the, the floor. And then all of a sudden now we're reacting. I mean, that if, if we had that little faith in what we were doing that we're firing coach or, or demoting a coach after one week, then that decision should have been made in December because yes. it's, to me, it's just like the Manny Diaz thing at BYU, you know, it be you know they're not the exact same because uh, you know the team just quit on defense against BYU. It sure seemed like uh, yeah. I don't think this team quit. I don't think that there's you know that kind of problem inside the team. But you know th- although they were ill prepared and although there were a lot of mistakes and things like that, to me it just feels like you just want to ask, well, what the hell are you doing all off season if after one game against Notre Dame we're f- overreacting or reacting by by making changes. Um, you know, the fans have been skeptical of Watson all along. I think that calling it a play-calling issue, I don't buy that at all because I just think there's fundamental problems with the team that play-calling isn't going to fix. I mean, you could take the best play-caller in the country and when, you know, Hurd's back there on the snap and trying to, you know, he takes the snap and he's got three Notre Dame defensive linemen basically about to catch the snap from him. It doesn't matter what you've called. I mean, you're screwed. I mean, I, I can I can nitpick about, you know, I didn't like second and one, second and two, trying to pass instead of just getting good at something. Um, but to me, it's it's not the play calling. I think that's just a, a, a symptom of the bigger problem. And that is, to me, you know, we have no identity. We have coaches from all different types of schemes, all kind of, you know, patchwork together under the offensive uh, coaching staff. So what are we? I mean, I I wouldn't have minded if we just said, you know what, after that first quarter or second, you know, second quarter, even though we're down 17 nothing, screw it, we're a running team. And I don't care if we run into the brick wall 30 times in the second half. We're going to start getting good at something because it seemed like the play calling was just kind of a mishmash, grab bag. There was no hurry up at all. Uh, I noticed, you know, Gray, of course, I think there was it's on the Internet that play calling wasn't getting in fast enough. That was a problem last year. I think that gets back to this whole thing. It starts at what is our organization, and uh, that you have to put on Charlie Strong, whether he's a defensive coach or not. He's got to have a scheme set up. He's a, he's the CEO of the company, and if your executive is on the board, 
can't work together and come up with a decent strategy, it's not their fault. It goes back to the top man. Um, and so, I, I mean, there's time to fix this. I'm not off the Charlie Strong bandwagon. Um, I do think there's still huge talent problems, uh, you know, which is going to be, again, I think what we have to be careful is not to overreact because we don't have the players to be a serious contender for anything right now. I want to see us just get good at something. Pick pick something yeah. and get good at it. And if we get killed because somebody figures that out and they force us out of our game, so be it. But until we get good at one thing on offense, uh, you know, we're we're going to continue to, to struggle. Um, and defense, you know, has its issues. But I think on that side, that was a lot more of youth. Uh, you know, some just mistakes that Notre Dame's a good team and can take advantage of. So, you know, where I feel right now is disappointing. I mean, I could have handled a 38-13 to 13 loss if it meant 250 yards of offense and one good drive where we answered, even if it was in garbage time. Uh, you know, it's going to be a long road. Um, I just caution Texas fans about Charlie Strong, though. You know, Legendary programs and legendary coaches, this is what happens. You get the next guy in and everybody overreacts or reacts too quickly because of problems, and now you're on to the next coach, and now you start getting into that revolving door at the head coaching position, and you're talking 10, 15 years before you're going to get anywhere. Yeah, I think it – yeah, I agree that it's not just play call, and I think there was some some issues there because I think he could – I mean, it's like a basketball player getting into a rhythm on the court or shooting free throws, you start feeling it. I don't think Watson could ever really get into a rhythm because of the underlying issues, you know, not having playmakers out at receiver, not having the offensive line you need. So he was – there was, you know, calling this play to set up that play. Well, when the first five plays you call don't work, there's no setting up the other play. So he was always trying to – call the play to set up a play, but the setup play wasn't even working. So then the next, so it was just, but so I do agree that Watson may not have been the answer, but obviously it wasn't all him, but I, I break it down into in three or four things of where we are. Number one is I think Charlie Strong loves still calling a lot of the plays on defense and being involved and had his nose down there. Like the old saying, he couldn't see the forest from the trees. I think he's realized now, He's going to have to take a step back and see the big picture. So I think I, I think he thought he could trust Wickline, Watson, because Watson done it before. And I really think he had a hands-off approach and just let them do it. And he figured they're going to get it figured out. I think he realized they didn't get it figured out. So he's having to take Paul. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he made, he made a, a, a bad judgment, maybe over-trusted and wasn't involved in that. I think he's going to correct that. The second thing is – is our talent level is not what people think it is. And I'm going to go through this. Um, it's going to be a little bit tedious. It's going to take about five minutes. For those that are listening, uh, I think you're going to have some ahas, and I know um, um, you are. But we're going to start with the 2011 class. Um, Malcolm Brown, gone. Edmund, gone. Jackson, gone. Flowers, Cedric Flowers, still on the team, underperformed. Diggs, gone. Turner, gone. Shipley, gone. Evans, been hurt his whole career. Reed, gone. Greenlee, gone. Thompson, gone. Thompson, gone. Scott, gone. Cochran, gone. Ash, gone. McFarlane, gone. Oganawa, gone. Bergeron, gone. Moss, gone. Hutchinson, Doyle, still on the team. So you got you got Flowers, Hutchinson, Doyle, still on the team. Career backups. Um, 
Hutchison, Doyle are career backups, probably should never been played, never should have had Division One scholarship. So kids that should be seniors today leading your team to victory, you've got one player that's giving any amount of resemblance of contribution, that's Tank Jackson, and he's coming off a major injury from last year. So basically zero production of a class that should be seniors this year, the 2011 class. Tank Jackson is it that will probably get some production, uh, you know, four or five games into the season. So basically the 2011 class is gone, quit, graduated, went pro, done with. The ones that are left, Doyle and Hutchinson, just not good players. We're probably never going to be good players. Let's go to the 12 class. Gray, pretty good player. Obviously hadn't lived up to his five-star rating. Brown gone, Stell gone, Riser gone, Jones gone, Davis, decent player, kind of a role player. Sanders gone, Jenkins, uh, we've seen some flashes. Cameron Hughes gone, Colbert, third string already. Can't even beat the two freshmen out in the secondary, so a nothing player. Thomas, another role player. Brewer gone, Eccles, third string, what, you know, third string player already. Johnson, another role player. Santos, Hurt, out. Ridgeway, uh, Ridgeway still to be determined. Decent player, Boyette, hasn't done much still. Overstreet gone. Norman, people saying, who's Norman? It was a big defensive tackle, hadn't done nothing. Hawkins gone. Blewett, role player. Delatoria, role player. Moore gone. Cottrell, decent player. Jordan gone. Ashby gone. So of that class, you've got about three guys that are contributing role players. The key is, there's no big-time studs, no name that stands out to you. So the 11 class and 12 class, you've got one player that's decent, Ridgeway, could be kind of good, hasn't shown anything, and then about four guys. So you've got six guys out of about 40 scholarships there, six of them. Two of them are kind of contributing. The four or five are terrible. So guys that should be juniors and seniors where your team should be good are terrible. Now we're going to go to the 13 class. James, gone. Perkins. Average at best. Rollerson, he hasn't done much. Can't keep on weight. May not be a Division One player. Davis gone. The other Davis. Second string, Oliver. Probably will never play. Swoops, we know what he is. Uh, Ja'Cory Ward, what's he done? Nothing. Hammond gone. Harrison gone. Collins gone. Hun gone. Hughes, the starting defensive end. Swain gone. Meander gone. So the only one player out of the 2013 class is any meaningful contribution. That's Hughes, the younger brother, Deshaun, who started at defensive end, and then Perkins is a starter, but he ain't doing a whole lot. So another two players. So now we're up to eight players in three recruiting classes that are doing anything, and only two of them that are, that are worth a damn. And then we get into the, the 14 class. So, so um, Roberson has potential, still may play. He's a redshirt freshman. Heard, Armani Foreman, Freeman. Uh, Lorenzo Joe, not much. Catalone gone. Booney, Ford, maybe. Bernard injured. Leonard, not so much. Hampton's gone. Terrell Cuny, he ain't going to never do nothing. Gray ain't going to do nothing. McMillan, it's too early to tell. Um, Hall, decent player. Anderson, the offensive lineman, made development. Foreman's a decent player. And then the other offensive lineman, Rodriguez, made development. So out of all that, you got about 14 guys that are worth a damn in 11, 12, 13, 14 class. That's why you saw 15 guys in the 2015 class play. You're probably going to see another seven or eight of them play. You're going to see all 20, at least 20 of them um, play in the next two weeks. And if Strong survives this, when we bring in the 2016 class, you're probably going to see about 10 or 15 of them. So I'm predicting now, Strong, in 2016, you're going to have to uh, probably uh, 
all sophomores and redshirt freshmen and freshmen starting. So basically, I'm not giving Strong a pass on the mistakes he's made, but when you really delve in to the 80-plus scholarship players we have, not counting the 2015 class, or count, don't, don't count them, but you go 11, 12, 13, 14, the guys that should be leading this team, it's a damn disaster, Matt. I mean, we, it, it's horrible. We got 45 guys right now, maybe 50, that are probably never going to play. We've got to turn the roster, and that's just going to take time. There's no way around it. I mean, it was really uh, sobering for me when I went through this list today and really broke it down of how untalented dead weight we've got from Mac Brown recruits left on this squad. I mean, it's sobering. And, Mike, you know, uh, I saw – you probably saw the same thing on Twitter. Some Yahoo was talking about, you know, rattling off the, the Texas that had top five classes the last four years under Brown. And so, A, I couldn't even remember whether that was true or not. So I got online to check that, and I saw that, yes, it was true. And then I clicked on the players, and, I mean, there are four-star guys – that I never even heard of. Like, I mean, they did, they came and went so fast or so quietly yeah. that I didn't. If you you, I didn't know that guy from somebody doing my dry cleaning around the corner. I mean, it was unbelievable. And then, you know, on top of that, of course, you got the suspensions of some players that probably could have uh, participated. Right. That's fine. I'm still. We've always been okay with that, and we're not going to use it as an excuse now. But yeah, there there are just players that four star, five star, and I think what goes back to is, you know, the early recruiting cycle with Mac is we're recruiting guys and then, you know, they get bumped up. It's this circular logic where they get bumped up in the ratings because Texas has they have an offer from Texas. They don't develop during high school or they've peaked out and now they get here and they're not contributors. So it was eye opening just reading through those names and I'm really glad you did that because I didn't realize just how bad it was. I I flipped through it and saw that, yeah, there are a lot of missing names off of that list, but it's shocking when you actually count it up and see. And that's where it comes back to, you know, I know that Charlie Strong uh, is not going to probably even be allowed by this administration to come out and say things like, you know, we're going to be young and it's going to be rough because they're trying to sell tickets. Uh, right. But, you know, that's that almost needed to be the message during the off season and coming into this year instead of the same old, you know, optimism cycle that everybody falls into. I mean, I think most people, I know you picked Texas, you know, uh, last week, but I know you also said you went back and forth on it, and I think everybody thought we had a chance in the game. It would depend on how it played out. Um, but I, that's where I go back to, I think everybody recognized there was a chance we were going to get our asses kicked, too. Uh, and uh, I think my, the story... My original pick was going to be about 31 to 6. Honestly, I mean, that, that's where I was early in the summer. The more I analyzed it, looked at Notre Dame, and I started to evaluate the roster. When it became clear that we were probably going to have 10 or 12 true freshmen started, I, I, I mean, I, I, honestly, I was picking us to get I, – I, that's why I said I went back and forth for three weeks. I really did. And that's where it comes back to, okay, that was a pure possibility. we got a super young team. So is it the right message to send to that super young team to, you know, abandon, abandon ship after one week? Now, it also yeah. might work because, you know, in a way it might work because if you're a freshman coming onto this campus and you don't understand how important this is, well, you just found out. You just found out because one of your coaches is gone, is not gone, but it's demoted after this game. I mean, if there's anybody that's not pulling their weight 100%, they realize now that Charlie Strong ain't effing around. You know, this is just a serious business. And I do think that with the contributors being, you know, the young contributors, 
you know, we've seen this before with offensive lines and, and, and groups of, of uh, position players that come in as freshmen and get their tails beat in for a couple of years. And those guys turn into even better players because they've been through the down years and they've got the experience. And now when they're starting their junior year, you know, this is their 28th game or whatever. Uh, so I think there's hope. But, man, you want to talk about the, the vicious cycle is if Texas does go 4-8, and 5-7 and seven this year, is Charlie Strong going to be able to recruit another class to come in that's going to be, you know, what appears to be right now a bunch of ballers. You know, I, th- I was impressed with some of the freshmen. They stepped onto the field and made plays. They made mistakes, but they made plays, and I'll take that trade. But, man, the pressure is going to be on the next class because that's going to be the class. I think, you know, now we got a little ahead of ourselves, I think, thinking that 2015 might show some some serious turnaround. I can live with another rough year, but then 2016, you got to push all your chips in, man, and Charlie's Charlie's job is going to rely on at least showing some pulse in 2016. Yeah, if he can pull, if he can survive this year, he'll definitely be coaching for his job in 2016. But I mean, we had what 20? I don't remember the exact number of the class. 25 plus in 2015. We'll sign a full class of 25 here in 2016. So that's 50 kids. That'll be his foundation. Uh, and then you'll, you know, he's got 10 or 15 kids from the 2014 class that were his. So you're talking 65, 68 kids. So, and then there's going to be eight or nine, you know, there's going to be some of those kids that I mentioned uh, are going to transfer in December and leave. So um, the roster will be turned. Like, he, he, I mean, he said it back in fall camp. Um, I, need, I need one more recruiting class and then it'll be on. And I, and I really believe that. And I'm not giving him a pass at all. Um, mm-hmm. I think you're going to see some of these true freshmen improve as the year went on. I mean, there were some bright spots. Um, Chris Boyd uh, showed some flashes on special teams, and he was in on defense. He was a missile. He was going all out. I think he's going to end up starting. Obviously, Malik Jefferson missed some tackles, made some mistakes, but, again, he did it at full speed. But we also show, also showed uh, what a stud he can be when he, when he really – I mean, he mm-hmm. made some incredible plays from the backside. I mean, even some of the other, other younger guys, you know. Uh, so the talent is slowly there, but the holes that we have, I mean, Perkins is not an offensive tackle. He really should be playing guard. Hutchinson shouldn't even be on the field. Doyle shouldn't be on the field. So we still got some holes there. Uh, obviously, the quarterback position uh, is a complete disaster. Swoop should never play another down at quarterback. Uh, I think we'll see him some this week to see if, what he can do. But uh, my my gut feel is really that um, that that Hurd is going to probably play most of the Rice game, and then we're not going to see Swoops anymore. And that, does that mean Hurd is the guy? No, Hurd may not be it either. We may end up being. And I, I said it on Twitter the other. I'm not going to be surprised if Kay Loxley, um is 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 not playing by the end of the year. I know they really want to redshirt him. I know the coaches are high on him. I know a lot of people are, are not, but I, I'm telling you, I think Kay Loxley's a pretty good player. I don't want to throw a true freshman into the mix, too, but if, if Hurd comes out there and looks like Swoops, they may not have any choice. But, uh, I mean, I, I know one thing, hard, Mike, I, know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a, 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 a next-year guy, uh, well, wait until next year, but I really think the quarterback position is going to get better. I think Kay Loxley's a good player. Michelle, who's coming in early in December in the 2016 class, is going to be a really good quarterback if he sticks with us. So help is coming, but man, how do we get, how do we survive the next eleven? That's my concern. Without just going four and eight. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Ted, Matt. No, no. I mean, I think 
and that's me going back to our original point. I don't know what the hell happened with Hurd and Swoops in that game, but you know it was plainly evident early on <clears throat> that uh, the offensive line was just as bad as last year. And I maybe really worse. think, I mean, this <laughs> yeah, maybe worse. And this is nothing, <laughs> honestly. I mean, I you know the fans and I, you're not one of these, but you know the the real morons in the in the crowd are going to blame the quarterback for everything, and I feel bad for what. Swoops may have to deal with if he uh, if he you know plays a lot this year and struggles because uh, our fans love to you know bitch about quarterback and fail to see any other problems on the field. But that said, I think Swoops could be a decent quarterback with an offensive line. He's I agree. A horrible. He's a horrible choice when you have people rushing after you and and blowing coverages and and all kinds of stuff like that because. You need what you have to do is the only solution is you got to put hurt in and just say, look, man, this is going to be rough, but when in doubt, fucking run, baby, and just make something happen. And I, I was, I really after that first, you know, couple of series, and then Hurd came in. I know he got, he took the sack, and I don't know if that's what caused him to not come back in the game. I know there was some talk, you know, they somebody threw a comment that he got the wind knocked out of him, and they thought about concussion or whatever. But if there was no injury, I mean, it's criminal not to put him back in the game because you had no other choice at that point. Uh, you know, it was pretty obvious. You you had two choices, actually. You put Swoops in, and you just line up Foreman and Gray and these guys and just run the hell out of the ball and try to get out of there without giving up 50. Or you put Hurd in and say, dude, just do your best and when in doubt, use your wheels, man, and then see how that works. The fact that they didn't do either you know, that is where I think, you know, the people that are complaining about play calling and basic strategy and what was our plan, I think there's a very valid concern there. Yeah, I think I, – I agree. I don't think Swoops just doesn't have the ability at this point to to be the guy and lead a team, but I think if he had people around him, I think he would be serviceable. I, I honestly think – uh, you could put him on a, on Ohio State's behind their offensive line, Auburn's, Alabama's, you know, probably even TCU's, and, and and would he be great? No, but they would still win a lot of football games. He would he would be able to stand in the pocket, look at the receiver, make throws because he'd have time to throw. He would duck and pick up few. But when he's under pressure and the way, I mean, yeah, he is just not the guy. He is not. He's not a Vince Young who is the guy. He is he is a piece of the puzzle. He isn't the puzzle. I mean, I mean, it's just you're right. I mean, I don't think he's as horrible as they say, and that's sad. He does, but he does need better people around him. He doesn't make the people better; they make him better, and that, and that's the reality of his game. And and I think I think we are going to see a transition. I think Norval they're going to spread it out, try to get. I mean, one one positive we do have some speed. So the way you negate pass rushes and stuff is with short passes. You spread people out. I think we're going to spread it out, and, and, and we're going to have you know two or three step drops for her. And if it's not there, he's going to scramble, and, and we're just going to run with it and see if we can't put together five, six, maybe seven wins out of this season, and then get another recruiting class here and go forward. I really, I really think that's your only option. And hopefully next year, then you know her gets a whole year. He may turn out to be the player that we were hoping he would be out of high school. So he'll get valuable experience in a real game. Number two, Kay Loxley gets a whole year to learn, and then Bichelle's coming in in December. So then you have a real quarterback controversy. If Bichelle is the best, you start him as a true freshman. If Kay Loxley is the best, you start him as a redshirt freshman. Or if Hurd's done showed he can really do it, then you're in great shape. You let Hurd run it, and you've got all the young guys, and 
then you go try to, you know, try to win a Big 12 championship and go from there. There's real competition. Right now, I mean, it's, it's, it, we really don't have real competition still. There's just not a lot of depth there. So you just you got to roll with it. And, I mean, the numbers don't lie from the 2011 to 2014 class. I mean, it I mean, when, when, you're, when you only have one player left on the 2011 class of guys that should be seniors, most of them are run off, transferred, or, or whatever, uh, you're pretty damn thin. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. And then, you know, only three or four guys from the, 12, from the 2012 class. So, I mean, that's, I mean, like you said, it's just sobering, sobering numbers. So, um, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you one thing, Mike, and I'm sure we'll get into, you know, other games around the country, but I'm, I'm fascinated by Notre Dame Virginia this week because Virginia, you know, uh-huh. they went to they went out to LA and let a true freshman quarterback who who looks to be special, but let's be real, they let yeah. a true freshman quarterback just pee all over their defense. I mean, this <laughs> is awful. And now Notre Dame comes into Virginia. Notre Dame's only a twelve point favorite. If Notre Dame gets in a dogfight with Virginia, then oh my God, we might be really really in trouble. If Notre Dame goes out there and kicks the crap out of Virginia. Then maybe you start thinking, okay, you know, maybe we just we weren't ready for that game. Those guys are loaded with upperclassmen. They're a good team. Let's just focus on on uh, you know on Rice and then Cal and Oklahoma State before the gauntlet starts up. Um, you know, TCU and OU back to back. But uh, to me, that's the game I want to watch this weekend at the tailgate is to just to see what uh-huh. Notre Dame looks like against somebody else. If <laughs> if that game's ten to ten at halftime. And they're not moving the ball, and they're uh, you know giving up some yards to Virginia. Then I'm going to be I'm going to be switching to whiskey. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. I, I think I think we're gonna we're gonna begin to see some process, um, some progress um, with us just spreading it out and using some speed. I, I don't think we're going to see us sustain a lot of drives, but I think we're going to be able to to get some people in space and, and break some runs and. and I really think the defense is going to get better. I think a lot of our, our – the issues on defense can be corrected because I think there is more talent on defense right now. I mean, I, I think they're young. They're still learning to play. They're still thinking a little bit. I think our defense is going to get better and, and be able to carry us to a few wins down and then hopefully the offense. But, I mean, we've got to score more than three, six, ten points. I mean, we've got to get at least the mid-20s, 25 to 28 to give us a chance. And we're going to do that in some games, and we still may not have a chance against the Baylors and TCUs of the world, unfortunately. But, I mean, if we can get into 25 to 30 against Oklahoma State and, you know, Kansas State, some of these others, I think we can we can get, we can can get get at least get, get some wins behind us. So, um, but, yeah, it's going to be rough. Uh, I do want to give a quick shout-out. Um, he's probably not listening. I don't know if he may be. Um, Chuck Carlton of the Dallas Morning News. He's been retweeting my um, my links to my my podcast, and I know we've been picking up some um, some listeners and followers from his. So I, I really appreciate that, Mr. Carlton. I've never met him, um, but obviously he covers the Big Twelve, and um, so um, I don't know if he's following me or not. But he's been retweeting a lot of my podcast stuff. So thank you, sir. That's awful nice of you for somebody as well known as you in, in the um, Texas market. The to be doing that, so I'm really appreciative. Um, well, let's um, let's talk about something a little different here, which is thinking you're you're, you're not going to know anything on this story. I'm really having this two minute conversation, Matt, um, for my friends at Orange Bloods that are probably listening. I know I do have a lot of listeners that are on that site. Um, uh, I'm about to tell you a funny story. About four, five, six months ago, it may have been eight, nine months ago. Out of the blue. 
this um, very good-looking young lady poster showed up out of the blue and was just real involved in posting, just out of the blue. And, of course, my, my red flags went up all, right away, and I thought, boy, this is, this is interesting. And then I thought, you know, so at first I thought it was a troll account. I said, this is some dude that's got a fake a- a- avatar, you know, or whatever. Long story short, uh, a real female did show up to different Orange Blood Happy Hours, and, and I actually met this person. And then after I met the person, then it really did kind of confirm that this person is on here trying to find them a um, uh, uh, um, what's the term when you find somebody that takes care of you? Um, sugar daddy. Sugar daddy. That's it. Yeah. yeah, sugar daddy. And, and then and then I and then as we delved into it a little more, not only was she looking for one sugar daddy, she was looking for tons of sugar daddies. So. Um, <laughs> Apparently, in the last few days, so she's gone. She's gone dark on Orange Blood as her, her as her con has come to light um, in the last three, four weeks or so. Um, but apparently, she she tried the con recently on a poster, and he outed her today on Orange Bloods. And the thread was was going strong until um, the mods and Ketchum locked it and got rid of it. And now there's about nine more threads on it. So. Um, Orange blood is pure gold tonight. So if you hear me laughing or snickering here in the background, I'm reading some of the posts and some of the poor idiots that are, uh, actually have outed themselves and said, "Yeah, I, I went on a date with her. I lost eight grand. I did this. I bought her that." So it is it is gold. And, and so she's been outed for my Orange Blood listeners. I told them I would I would mention it tonight on the podcast. But yeah, it is it is uh, it, it's Mike, turned into Mike, pure, pure. Go ahead. Mike, maybe it's uh, a Steve Patterson fundraising attempt to kind of go undercover and <laughs> pull a little extra money out of Orange Blood to him. Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's turned into a full blown hornet's nest. The old the old internet um, internet has struck again. But yeah, some of the people that got, got suckered in by her, um, it, it is um, it is quite um, comical. And I mean, she is an, an attractive young lady. I mean, she's not like I mean, just a supermodel of the world. But I mean, she is attractive. But apparently, she uh, she got a couple of them real good. Set up different. Um, she had apparently had different ailments, illnesses, and legal things that she needed help. And you know, guys think with one brain and don't use the other very much. And we know what brain they think with a lot of times. And you know, they will start hemorrhaging uh, hemorrhaging ATM cash. So. Um, it is. It, so I'll I'll just leave that topic alone before I divulge too much. But it is quite. It is pure damn gold on orange bloods right now. That's all I'm doing, all I'm going to say about that. Woo! It's hot. Good lord. Well, um, I guess real quick before we before we move on, what what are your thoughts on Norval? I mean, I mean, he was at OU. He was an architect when when obviously they were high scoring. Um, Obviously, he's been at UCLA. He's been at Nebraska. I, I think he's a really good wide receiver coach. Uh, you know, I, I don't think he. You know, I think he's going to be limited just because of what we said—the talent and the playmakers. But I do think what he'll do is a positive. Is what I said. I think he'll spread us out, try to get playmakers in space. That you know, and see if we can create some offense. Um, but I mean, he's he's up against it. And, and if he doesn't work out. Is a play caller. I don't think he's going anywhere at receiver. I, I don't even know. He probably Strong probably called him in and said, "Hey, I have nowhere to turn. Do you want to do it?" And I mean, he probably may have jumped on it. He may even said, "Man, I don't know." But Strong, you know, I mean, where else could he turn at this point? So, um, so um, I wish Norval luck. But I mean, he's I mean he's he's got a lot on his plate now for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, I you know I, I follow a few uh, OU folks that, whose opinion I respect, and in a couple cases, you know, they sounded like they. I think he was co-coordinator with Heichel at the time, which that the whole co-coordinator thing drives me crazy. I guess allegedly no, that's what we had, but it yeah. just seems like you need a you need one one leader. Um, and so who knows whether it was him or Heifel that were causing some problems on play calling. And I know in Nebraska, he was offensive coordinator, but I think Callahan was still there and was actually calling the plays. So yeah, you know, it's kind of like that major Applewhite at Ar- Alabama thing where, yeah, he was the offensive coordinator, but when you, if you're if you're making this change due to play calling, you know, I don't know, I don't know how much of his actual play calling you can critique because there were other factors uh, at play at both of those schools. I mean, at this point, it's what's done is done and you've made a change and, and that's what I would look to see is, you know, I'm more, even more alarmed if we make a change and then it doesn't look like we've really changed anything. We just changed names at the top, move the nameplates around. Uh, that's when I start to really worry about, like, what is our fundamental approach to offense? And when you start using the word fundamental approach, <laughs> you start losing faith in the entire uh, coaching staff pretty quick. So I'm hoping... I'm hoping we just see something different. Will the results turn around right away? I seriously doubt it. Um, but, uh, you know, like I said before when we were first rambling on about ranting about Notre Dame is I just want to see us pick something and try to be good at it. And, uh, you know, I think that obviously, based on Strong's comments, that's going to mean a lot more Jonathan Gray. And I think that works with what yeah. you're saying. Spread the field out. Uh, give Hurd some simple options to, uh, you know, run or run or pass or hand off to Gray. Uh, and give them some easy reads, get that speed out there. Um, so I do think we've got – they're young, but we've got some talent on the wide receiver uh, position. So let's just see something different. Uh, I would also caution – I mean, we don't know that much about Rice. They played Wagner last week, who I had to look up what Wagner was. Um, they put a whole bunch of points on the board, but they're an unknown. And I know they were, they've got a bunch of new faces on defense. So if this thing turns around real quick next or this weekend – Let's just not go celebrating just yet. I think there's some tough times coming with those next four games after that. Yeah. We'll probably revert a little closer back to the Notre Dame performance, but hopefully not back to three points and 160 yards. I mean, any honestly, any college football team with a pulse should be able to scratch out 200 yards, particularly in a game that gets to be 38-3 to three and you're talking garbage time. You should be able to rack up 100 yards in the fourth quarter. Yeah, depending on how Cal goes and Oklahoma State and then TCU on the third, I, um, uh, by kickoff, the Greek scan may, may, be, may be drink dry. I may have that damn thing floating by 9.30. So, so we'll see. We'll, like you said, we've got, some, we've got some bumps in the road coming up for sure. Well, let's jump into a few picks. Let's start with um, the Houston Cougars at Louisville. Louisville gave um, Auburn all they wanted. Um, Louisville's a 13-point favorite. Um, Harmon um, had his group looking pretty good last week. I still don't think U of H is that good yet. I think he's a couple of years away, but I I do like what um, what he's doing at Houston. And you know the the people have already predicted if he continues to to build and do well and strong and don't work out, that's our next head coach. But I don't <laughs> want to get down that ro- I don't want to get down the road that far. But Louisville's about 13 point favorite. I think Louisville will cover. Um, I'm going to say Louisville 42, Houston 22, 20, 21, excuse me, 42, 21. Yeah. So I'm, I'm picking Louisville. Yeah, we're right next to each other. I got 41 to 20, Louisville. 
Next one, LSU, Mississippi State. LSU got rained out last week in football. Uh, Mississippi State lost a lot of people, still have a pretty decent quarterback. Um, LSU is actually a favorite by four and a half. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and pick LSU. I think this is going to be a low-scoring affair. I'm going to go 24-17 LSU. Yeah, it's a shame uh, LSU didn't get a play. I think this – I really liked – LSU in this game until, you know, they don't get those first week jitters out of the way. Yeah. Let me tell you, as a side note, uh, my dad, LSU grad, not happy at all that uh, that game got raised out. He waited all off yeah. season to finally see LSU play again. He's got to wait another week. That's got to be torture. I mean, if the team comes out as fired up as I think my dad will be to watch that game, uh, I think they'll win. But, you know, Mississippi State's got Dak uh, still, but they lost a lot around him. I don't think I think they're coming in way overrated. Um, yeah. But wild card is LSU's playing their first game. I'll say twenty-eight to twenty LSU. Not real. Confident. Next one is a is is interesting to me. Kansas State. I guess I heard today their quarterback is out for the year. They're going up to UT mm-hmm. uh, San Antonio. Larry Coker seems to be doing a pretty good job. UTSA gave. Um, Arizona, Arizona, all they could handle last week. Um, Kansas State's a 17-point favorite. I was going to pick it close, case early, um, K-State win, uh, but I, I'm going, this is my upset special of the week. I'm going UTSA 34, Kansas State 31. Mike, you're being suckered into the Wizards' lair here, man. I know Bill it. Snyder, Bill Snyder is going to come out there and... They're going to dominate. They're, and K-State's going to have a ton of fans come down there, I bet, to San Antonio. Uh, I'm going to say 40-13 to 13 Kansas State, even with a backup quarterback. What was the other one? Another one that is – I'm surprised the line is this low. Vanderbilt looked just atrocious uh, last week. Uh, Georgia, uh, you know, top-10 team, they're a 20-point favorite. Uh, I think they roll in this. I'm going to say Georgia 55, Vanderbilt 10. I think this is easy money on this game this week. Yeah, this one was weird to me, too. I didn't I, – I mean, I know it's a road game, but come on, it's at Vandy. I mean, it's yeah. not really a road game for anybody, I think, that brings any kind of fans. I'll say uh, 41-7, Georgia. And then, obviously, the game you were just talking about, Notre Dame at Virginia. Notre Dame's about a 12-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm like you. I mean, Virginia just looked atrocious against the Phenon freshman, uh, Rosen. Um, I just don't know what to think about um, Notre Dame. I mean, because are we that bad? Are they that good? Are they really a top-ten team, 12-and-a-half? Will they have a little letdown? No, I think Virginia's probably just that bad. I think Notre Dame rolls. I'm going to say – 45-20 Notre Dame. Yeah, I've got uh, 30 to 13 Notre Dame, and I think it'll be. I think they'll control it from start to finish. They better, or else, like I said, I'm going to be yeah. really depressed. Yeah. Memphis and Kansas is an interesting game. If Kansas doesn't win this one, uh, Memphis is a 13 and a half point favorite. Obviously, after Kansas's game um, losing last week, I think they had a. A horrible loss. I think the only team had a worse loss than Kansas last week was probably Penn State. So uh, I'm not even going to pick this game. Memphis will probably roll, but um, I don't. 
I could honestly see Kansas going 0 and 12 now. I, I don't know. I don't see a win on their schedule. Boy, they have really hit rock bottom. Mike, when we when we did the preview for Kansas, you know, I think we talked about that San Diego, or sorry, I keep saying San Diego State, South Dakota State uh, had yeah. I think the same number of scholarship players as Kansas because of all the people that have left the KU program. I actually got home from Notre Dame, and uh, the only game my stupid DVR actually recorded was Kansas versus South Dakota State. So to yeah. try to get Texas Notre Dame out of my you know mouth, I watched that first half of that game. South Dakota State had way better athletes. That wide receiver, yeah. they got a guy that's a stud, and he just ran all over them. And Kansas' defense cannot tackle anything. It brought back memories of John McAvick defenses. I. Man, I don't know. I, to me, this makes no sense. I think Memphis is going to go in there and destroy Kansas because Memphis has got to have better athletes than South Dakota State. So, yeah. uh, South Dakota, I don't remember which one it was. South Dakota State, I think. I, I'm going to say Memphis 38-10, to 10, and it won't even be that close. It, by the way, it was 31-7 to 7 South Dakota State, and the only seven points Kansas had was on a kickoff return. That's right. what you think. Yeah, it was it's pretty bad. Kansas is in bad shape. This one's an interesting game. Um, you don't know much about Oklahoma. They beat Akron. Um, they're playing at Tennessee. Uh, looks like OU is about a one point favorite. So basically, it's a pick 'em game. Um, Tennessee's real young. Um, I think OU is not that good. Um, uh, their their offensive line struggled. Uh, this is going to be a big game. I, I think Tennessee wins. I'm going to say Tennessee. 31, Oklahoma 17. Well, you can queue up Boomer sooner if you've got it because I'm going to say Oklahoma 38, Tennessee 27. Ooh, a good pick. That's a good pick. And then another game I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Obviously, Oregon at Michigan State. Um, Last year, um, Oregon handled Michigan State pretty good up there in Oregon. This is at Michigan State. Michigan State's a four minus four. Um, I'm a, I like Michigan State in this one at home. I, I, I think I think Michigan State's going to win this. I, I haven't I didn't get to see Oregon play this week, but I mean we know what Oregon is. Uh, they're breaking in a new quarterback. I guess they got the transfer kid Adams. Um, I'm going to say Michigan State thirty eight, Oregon thirty. I think they'll cover and win. <clears throat> Yeah, I'm having trouble with this one because I think Michigan State is overrated this year. I think they lost too much on defense, and they've lost at least one key contributor on defense to injury already. But Oregon gave up like 500-something yards to uh, Eastern Washington last week. To me, that's a huge red flag. To me, the way I look at it is this game is – I know you can't – I got to pick one thing, but what I'm saying is it's either going to be a Michigan State blowout or if it's close, then Oregon's going to find a way to win. But I'm sticking to blowout. And message sent from the Big Ten, I'm going to say Michigan State 49, Oregon 24. And then our last game we'll pick is Oregon State at Michigan. The only reason I picked it is um, Harbaugh is going to finally get his first win as the new Michigan coach. And um, when I left South Bend, I did drive over to Michigan, and I was only uh, where I was staying about 20-minute drive from Ann Arbor, so I did run over and, and look at the big house. The first time I'd been there, it was pretty cool. Um, so I'm, Michigan's a 16-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, I don't know how they may not score 16 points. So, um, But Oregon State is, is not very good this year. So I'm going to say 
somehow Michigan claws to 27 and holds um, Oregon State to 10. So I'm going 27-10 Michigan. Harbaugh gets his first win as the Michigan head coach. Yeah, I love the under in this game. I don't remember what the total was. It's not high, but I don't think either no. team is going to combine to a whole lot of points. I like Michigan to win, but I think it'll be 20 to 13, something like that. 45 is the over and under. Okay, yeah, still take the under. Yeah. And now we'll get to the game that we'll be watching live, us and about 80,000 of our close friends at DK Hard Stadium <laughs> on Maybe. Saturday evening at, at 6.30 on the Longhorn Network. Hopefully we'll be a little better crowd than that, but obviously the stadium is not going to be full. Um, we are about a 15-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, I have to say, honestly, um, if, if we would have did this show yesterday or Monday, um, I, I was actually going to pick Rice to win about 24 to 21, 23. Uh, I'm still tempted to do that because I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, my mind is just saying we are just that bad. I mean, um, but but I think they're going to be pissed off. I think we'll get a little surge with with Norville. I think I think we're going to have some more speed than Rice. We're going to probably break. You know, we're going to have a play probably where Hurd is trapped. And he's going to break a 60-yard run just on athletic ability. It ain't going to be a good play. I think that we'll catch um, Burt or, or Foreman open for a 10-yard pass and with speed. So I think we're going to just out-athlete them at, at certain positions and probably break some things in the reason we'll probably win this thing. But I still think it's going to be ugly. I don't think we're going to get in the 30s. Um, it'll, it'll be close. So I'm going to say 27-10 Texas. Well, we have the same point differential. I think the line is pretty pretty much right on. I wouldn't touch yeah. this game. But I'm a wild no. optimist. I'm a wild <laughs> optimist, and I think Texas is going to get 30 points and win 30-13. Okay. I, I, well, yeah, that's about where I mean. Yeah, I was, you know, right around there, give or take. I just um, – I, I think we'll – like I said, I think we'll break a few things, and, and you know, we're, we're still we're – not, we're not going to know any more about us um, this week than we did last week. Um, but at least we get out with a win. Maybe some of the younger kids, uh, more younger kids will play. We'll get a little confidence. Norval will start to set in. And then I think a better judge, if we're really starting to maybe make a little progress, is against Cal. If we come out there mm-hmm. and some find a way to win, beat Cal, man, now you're sitting at 2-1. and one. You're still not great. Oklahoma State's coming to town. I don't think they're that good. Hell, you could be sitting at 3-1 and one and you're not a very good football team. And then obviously you go up and lose to Oklahoma, you know, to um, to uh, TCU. You're three and two. Then you never know about Oklahoma. It's a robbery. Somehow you get out of there. You're four and two. So that, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to be optimist here. Worst case scenario, we no. And now that's that's yeah. positive. On the opposite end, we lose. We beat Rice. We lose to Cal. We lose to Oklahoma State. And we lose to Oklahoma. We're sitting there at one and five. So we could go. We could be four and two, one and five. I think the margin of error is so thin. I think it'd go either way. I, I mean, I'm. I, 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 you know, but but I think there's some teams ahead of us we can beat, and then there's some teams ahead of us. The key will we even be able to play within within three touchdowns? I mean, that, that's just a reality. I mean, we're not beating TCU. Anybody thinks we're beating TCU is stupid. Well, the key is will we keep it? Will we will we you know keep it within three four touchdowns? I mean, let's get real. I mean, and TCU didn't light up the fire. They didn't look like like world beaters. Um, Baylor struggled against SMU, but I mean, still. Those teams yeah. are, are 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 better than we are right now. There's no way to sugarcoat that. Yeah, TCU's big problem right now is just like a couple of years ago, 
they're just yeah. falling apart on defense with injuries. Um, so there's a there's a chance there just to you know they're not going to be at full strength that you can maybe do a little bit of something on offense, but that right. TCU offense against our defense, I don't think they're going to be ready to pass that test uh, by early October. No, no, they're not. So, but that's why I said that's why the Rice game's important. We got to figure out how to beat Cal, and we got to figure out a way to beat Oklahoma State. And then at least you're three and one. Uh, then you maybe drop TCU, and then you go up to Oklahoma in a rivalry game, and maybe Hurd's got three or four games under. Everybody's settling in. Um, I, I just I'm not sold on Oklahoma. I think they can be had. Um, so anything can happen there. So and then you got Kansas which, I mean, is, is a win. And then Kansas State, they're going to be injured. But until we beat the Wizard, I can't even say anything about that game. So, I mean, I mean, going to West Virginia, I mean, you can't you can't count on that. So, whew, good Lord, it's just it's going to be rough. So, we'll get we'll a bumpy just, I mean, ride. It's going to be a bumpy ride. Hang on. And like, and like I said, we're going to take one week at a time because I don't think any, any one week is going to be a predictor of the next week. I, I think it's just going to be some – some highs and lows, but I, I will say this: I think I don't think moving forward we're going to see Swoops much more. I, I, you know, and Hurd may not be the guy either, but unfortunately, with the talent level at offensive line, just like you said, Swoops is just not going to be able to to perform under these conditions. You've got to have somebody that's got some better scrambling ability, and at this point, that's Gerard Hurd. You, I mean, you got to go with it. So, Matt, that was a full hour. It went by fast. Lots to talk about. Hopefully. Um, We'll, we'll we'll beat Rice because if we if we lose to Rice, the wheels may come completely off this thing. We'll have a complete different conversation next week because then the reality <laughs> could be starting 0 or 6 and 0. And a strong error could be over at that point for real. So let's hope it doesn't get to that. But um, we'll see everybody at the tailgate, obviously, Saturday morning. Um, if nothing else, I'm, I, one thing I am sure, UT tailgaters is a 42-point favorite, and we're going to cover that this weekend. I guarantee you that. So... <laughs> So, Matt, tell, and, the, and, tell the listeners, huh? I was going to say, man, if we lose to Rice, you have to warn your listeners in advance that that's going to be a NC-17 rated podcast. I, yeah, I think I we're, I, we're both going to. Yeah. Man, oh, it takes God. a week off we lose to Rice. Well, I think, what if we only <laughs> lost to Rice? I, I was going to look that up today. I think it's once or twice in our history. What was yeah, it, 90, 94. 94. Four ninety four, yeah, I remember that game well. I, I hope I never remember it that well, but yeah. So, um, yeah, that was pretty brutal. So, well, Matt, not, not to uh, not, not to jinx anything. I, I'll I'll get to that in just a second, but really quick. Yeah, I'm not going to jinx yeah, it. But quick ninety four right story, just in case this comes up again. Uh, I was watching that game in my parents' house. It was embarrassing. I knew I was going to have to go to school next week or on Monday and deal with all kinds of people that were that were haters. And when the game finally got settled, I think I think Texas threw a late interception, if I remember correctly, and I took the family remote control and slammed it on the table and broke it into about 50 pieces. My dad walked into the room, saw what I had done, said, I hope you know you're paying for that, and I told him I don't give an S, and it didn't go very well from there. So I learned to control my emotions watching football at my parents' house thanks to that game. That was... Uh, We've had some painful moments, but that was one of the worst. Uh, at least going into this one, we know that we're kind of rough anyway, and it's, it's a distinct possibility it could happen. But still can't lose to Rice, man. Let's hope we pull it out. Anyway, uh, you can find me on Twitter, at UT Tailgaters, no spaces, no hyphens. And uh, we'll talk football. Uh, hopefully we'll have good things to talk about next week. Yeah, and right before you go, an interesting thing. Uh, my Astros, it looks like they're thinking about folding the tent up. Um, I saw a staff today 
of their last, listen to this stat, and they're still in first place by a game tonight, which is a miracle. But listen to this. Their last 45 road games, Matt, they're 13 and 32. Let that sink in. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. Ouch. When I I heard that stat today or read it, um, I thought, wow. Yeah, that's that's where they are. So just think if they're 500 on the road, or even a little under ten games under, they probably got there's probably ten twelve game lead. They got this thing wrapped up. So and you know, and I'm not mad right now because I think we're a year. I mean, what they've done this year is surprise. They're, they're a year or two ahead of where they thought they were. Uh, yep. They still got a lot of young guys. I mean, I still think if we, even the Rangers passes, we can still get in the wild card, get some playoff experience. So I'm not hating on them. Obviously, with the road record like that, we're not. I mean, we're not going to win the World Series, but but obviously coming off four straight hundred win losses, they. They've done pretty good, but obviously when you hear that stat, we've got some work to do still. 13-32 and 32 over the last 45 road games. The only, the only thing I can think of when I hear that is this. Well, it didn't play. Got a problem with my player. Man, you, there you there, go. There you go. Yeah, we got. That's what. Uh, if we lose tonight, we could wake up in um, in second place tomorrow. So they need to they need to get a road win tonight. So um, yeah, I guess next week we go to, I think we go to Arlington for four. So that's probably going to be a very key series on how this um, this thing finishes up. And then I think the Rangers the last week come back the minute made for two or three. So seven games against the Rangers left, I believe, give or take one or two. Um, that's going to really decide it. So I guess it's going to be fun. Fun to watch it go down the stretch. So uh, we'll we'll see what happens there. The Texans play. The Cowboys play this week. So we'll have a little NFL insight next week as well. So that'll be good. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing some NFL football. And obviously, I think um, New England and Pittsburgh play tomorrow night. So we'll get some NFL Absolutely. football tomorrow night. Yeah. So that'll be that'll be some good stuff. So with that said, Longhorn fans, we'll see you next week. If you're not doing anything. Uh, don't be a don't be a sad fan. Get on out to DKR. Let's try to fill it up best we can. I mean, we got a bunch of young kids that are giving their heart. Let's get out there and support them. And I will say this: I mean, Swoop is probably going to play. He's probably not going to look very good. He's going to make some mistakes. Uh, let's try to stay classy and not boo a 21 year old college player. As mad as we get, as frustrated as we get, walk under the tunnel, kick the brick wall, go out there and cuss. But let's don't boo a 21 year old kid. I mean, come on, let's get real. Um, so I hope we don't do that. So with that said, um, y'all can find me on Twitter at MBHornsFan. Always remember the eyes of Texas are upon you. Hook them horns, and we will see you next week. I sit alone in my four-cornered room staring at candles. Who got me? Real radio do? Oh, all right. Let's see At night I can't sleep. I toss the turn. Candlesticks in the dark. Visions of bodies being burned. Four walls closing in, getting bigger. I'm paranoid, sleeping with my finger on the trigger. My mother's always stressing I ain't living right. But I ain't going out without a fight. See, every time my eyes close, I start sweating. And blood starts coming out my nose. It's somebody watching the act. But I don't know who it is, so I'm watching my back. I can see them when I'm deep in the covers. When I awake, I hear a car burning rubber. And yo's a black hat like I own. A black suit and a cane like my own. Some might say take a chill beat, but I can't cheat, cause there's somebody trying to kill me. I'm popping in the grip when the wind blows. Every 20 seconds got me peeping out my window. Investigating the joint for traps. Checking my telephone for taps. 
I'm staring at the woman on the corner. It's messed up when your mind's playing tricks on you. Big cars, everybody know me. It's like I'm a movie star, but late at night, something ain't right. I feel I'm being tailed by the same fucking headlights. Is it that move that I ran off the block? Or is it that clown last week that I shot? Or is it the one I beat for five thousand dollars? Thought he had came, but it was gold, metal a flower. Reached under my feet, now my papa for the suckers. Ain't no use in me lying. I was scared of a monster. Put some left in the Popeyes and Bell got quick. This is going down, let's get it over with. Here they come, just like I figured. I got my head on a chrome plated trigger. When I start, I'll make you start giggling. Three black, crippling, crazy, seeing, feeling.